But yeah, so that misdiagnosis really cost me a lot in so many ways. It cost me my family. It cost me my marriage. It cost me relationships. Welcome to Digging Through Dominoes, a podcast that looks at mental, physical, and emotional trauma through real and inspiring conversations. This is your safe haven that welcomes you in, but also isn't afraid to talk about what hurts the most. And now, here's your host, Terry Anderson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Last time we left off with being diagnosed with bipolar disorder 2 instead of complex PTSD. A lot of people wonder, well, what's the difference? You're being treated. This, a lot of the symptoms are the same. So, you know, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the medications they put you on. So we're going to talk a little bit about the symptoms of bipolar 2 so people understand them a little bit more, as well as the symptoms of PTSD, complex PTSD. Okay, bipolar 2 symptoms. And these I got from the Mayo Clinic is the source that I've used. Generally, you will have a first degree relative. It appears to be genetic from the materials I've read. And there's a first degree relative that is affected, a parent or a sibling. If you're predisposition for bipolar two, and you're just kind of like cruising down the highway and everything's cool, it can be brought about, they're saying, from a significant loss, a significant trauma, like the death of a loved one. And I think that may be one of the reasons that I had been diagnosed with bipolar 2 was I had three people that had died within a relatively short time and a lot of trauma from 2004 to 2007, 2008. So in four years, there was a lot of trauma. It can also be triggered by drug and alcohol abuse. And that's something that did not affect me. I don't do drugs. I don't. I drink every once in a while. I'm a very light social drinker. Okay, bipolar 2 is classified in the DSM-5 as a mood disorder. So that would be pretty much an organic mood disorder. Here are some of the symptoms. And then I'll tell you the symptoms of complex PTSD and what overlaps and why it is so difficult to diagnose PTSD or complex PTSD, especially in the United States. Mood, mood swings, anxiety, deep sadness, euphoria, general discontent, guilt, hopelessness, loss of interest or pleasure in activities, behavior, would be compulsive behavior, impulsivity, irritability, restlessness, or self-harm. Cognitive symptoms would be lack of concentration, racing thoughts, slowness of activity, and suicidal thoughts or ideation. Sleep. In bipolar disorder, you need very little sleep. 
and you feel like the Energizer Bunny. You could have gotten an hour of sleep, two hours of sleep, and you can go, it feels like, four days. I can tell you right now, that was not one of my problems. Physiological symptoms are depression, grandiosity, also common is rapid or frenzied speech. Okay, now here are the symptoms of complex PTSD. Traumatic events early in life. Trauma caused by a parent or a caregiver. Trauma that lasted or endured for a long time, long periods of time. It may take years for symptoms to be recognized or even to manifest. As someone grows older that has CPTSD, there will be behavior changes, mood changes, self-confidence problems, and general attitude will start being a problem as, as a person with complex PTSD starts to grow older and things start bubbling up to the service. And you're saying, hey, I'm not like everyone else. What the heck's going on here? Okay, so a lot of the symptoms, those were some of the symptoms as, or I guess kind of the causes. If we get down into the symptoms a little bit further, you have feelings of shame or guilt approval seeking, difficulty regulating emotions, periods of losing attention or concentration, disassociation. That was a big one for me and we'll come back to that. And this was really interesting as I was researching this physical symptoms. When I look back at my timeline, really for as far back as I can remember, I had physical symptoms. I, you know, I feel like I'm healthy, but then I'll look back in the last few years. I'll look back in the last decade. I'll look back even in the past few months and I'll see the physical symptoms, headaches, dizziness, chest tightness, chest pain, check, 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 cutting yourself off from relationships and family. Another big one for me. And I had really a different idea of why I was doing that. Now I know it's not at all what I thought. We'll go back to that one too. Relationship difficulties, destructive behaviors, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, suicidal ideation or thoughts, difficulty trusting other people, or trusting people too much. And I wouldn't say it was really, in my case, trusting people too much. It was approval seeking and seeking validation instead of trusting them. Reliving the traumatic events. Most of the time you don't realize you're reliving the traumatic event unless you're triggered and you have no idea why all of a sudden you're going off the freaking hook. And it's something that happened. You're having the emotions that you've buried from something that happened years or decades previously. Avoiding certain places or situations where the trauma occurred. Difficulty with your sleep patterns. And in my case, it was sleeping way too much. I find that when I start to get in a phase where I'm triggered, 
I have a very difficult time going to sleep because my mind is just like trying to think of what the heck's going on. And then I could sleep for days or I will fight to wake up. I'll fight to go to sleep. And I think that's because of the nightmares and everything associated with that. And then I'll fight to wake, not to wake up. I'll fight to continue to sleep because of that respite from whatever is going on that's causing a re-triggering of past trauma. Another one that really plagues me is an exaggerated startle response to someone walking in the room, someone putting their hand on my shoulder and I don't see them. I can be working and the door will open and I will scream and I will jump. That's an exaggerated startle response being, you know, hyper in a hyper aroused state. You're watching all the time because the world does not seem to be a safe place. And I have had people make fun of me for that because my startle response is very exaggerated. And they'll say, but you knew I was here. Well, yeah, but I was preoccupied. And when this happens, it's like being in the middle of an attack again. And it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with always feeling like something is going to get you. Difficulty regulating your emotions difficulty regulating your feelings. Like you will have explosive anger in a situation that you may be justified in being angry with, but you will have an overcompensation for that into an explosive anger type of a situation. Ongoing sadness, a feeling of worthlessness and hopelessness, a detached feeling from your body or from your emotions or from what is going on around you at the time, imposter syndrome and a negative self-perception, Stockholm syndrome, where you pretty much bond and idolize those who have harmed you, acting out in ways that don't always match our beliefs or our emotions. Now, in complex PTSD, there is actually, you know, in bipolar disorder, there are brain changes. There are or there are organic differences in the brain. Complex PTSD can actually change the brain in the way that it functions. That's really scary. That's really scary. You can have this perfectly normal brain here and you su- you subject that infant to these traumatic experiences and it will change their brain. It changes the way hormones and neurochemicals are regulated, especially during periods of stress. So those that's, that's sort of a bucket list, I guess, of the symptoms of complex PTSD. I have almost every single one of them. And you can see sort of, if you've been following along, the similarities. But I'm going to let you know some of the main similarities here between bipolar disorder and complex PTSD. Lingering low mood, guilt, and anger. Worthlessness feelings or fear. Difficulty with positive feelings such as love, affection, and optimism. Problems with concentration and focus, disinterest in daily life, withdrawal 
from family and friends. And suicidal thoughts or ideation. So those are some of the overlapping symptoms. I want to take the time right now that if anyone is having suicidal thoughts or ideation, call the National Suicide Hotline at 800-273-8255. Or you can text HOME, in caps, H-O-M-E, to 741741. And that can connect you to the crisis text hotline. I know a lot of times if you're having feelings like that, you don't want to hear another voice. And texting is a marvelous way to make that connection to kind of ease into it. Because we're already not wanting to be around people. And hearing a voice can sometimes be triggering when texting a lot of times you don't have that emotional, personal investment Okay, so bipolar disorder is categorized as a mood disorder. PTSD, as well as CPTSD, but not, remember, not in America. CPTSD has not been recognized as an official disorder in the United States in the DSM-5. CPTSD and PTSD are categorized as a trauma or stress-related disorder. PTSD doesn't include, and CPTSD, they do not include the euphoria, the very highs, like the mania in bipolar disorder, increased self-esteem. You'll have something that seems like increased self-esteem, but it's actually something called imposter disorder, where you're feigning this confidence so no one can catch on that you're really a worthless piece of crap is the way you feel. PTSD does not include pressured or confusing speech, rapid speech. And you do not, with with PTSD and CPTSD, you do not feel refreshed after a couple of hours of sleep. You're not ready to take on the world like you are with bipolar disorder. CPTSD includes flashbacks. You may or may not remember. I had one of the flashbacks I would have was seeing hands. And they weren't attached to anyone, but they were coming toward me. But I couldn't see the face of who it was. I still don't know, although I have a feeling who it was. I have no idea whose hands those were. So that that's a flashback. Or you can have an emotional flashback where you're, you, get up some, you get upset of, over something trivial, like an argument with your spouse or one of your kids or one of your friends, and something that happens triggers that abandonment feeling that you felt as an infant, and you really over-respond in that instant. CPTSD also includes nightmares, intrusive thoughts and memories, Difficulty remembering your childhood trauma. You, you bury it, you put it in a box and, and you bury it. Detachment, disconnection, or disassociation. Negative or pessimistic beliefs about yourself or the world in general. Avoiding anything that reminds you of the trauma. Another huge one for me. 
And you have the physical stress responses, as I said before. You will have the exaggerated startle response along with a lot of physical symptoms, headaches, body aches, joint aches, stomach aches, things of that nature. I want to get into the medications that I was put on that caused me so many problems and really pushed me over the edge because they were unneeded psychiatric drugs. But before I do that, I want to go back and talk about some of the symptoms that I was experiencing and how they affected me in my everyday life. You know, going through those symptoms, especially with the overlapping symptoms, you can see why if if a doctor doesn't, just takes like I did. She said the first time this doctor saw me, she diagnosed me with bipolar too. So you can see why you need a doctor that's really going to take the time to get to know you and your background to talk to you before they give you a diagnosis. Because believe me, the side effects of the medication are nothing you'll want to mess with. They destroyed my life. But we'll get that to that. We will get to that in a second. First, I want to talk about these symptoms I was having and how they were affecting me. Feelings of shame or guilt. Around my parents, I always felt as I had done something wrong. In my relationships, I always felt I had done something wrong. I was apologizing all the time for things I didn't do. That's something I have since stopped. You know, I'll say, I am so sorry for what I have done that has contributed to this, but I'm not going to take on, you know, and I, I had this happen with one of my kids the other day. There was this huge misunderstanding and she made some very definite mistakes And I talked to her later on and I said, you know, I want to apologize for my part and what happened. She just looked at me, refused to take responsibility for her part. So that really concerns me about her and about what she may experience in her future. But you know how kids are, they get something in their head and they know better than you (laughs) until they get to be, you know, past a certain age sometimes and then they look back and say hey you know mom and dad you were right about that so I don't I try not to do that anymore I I will not apologize for something I have not done now like I said earlier sometimes it takes years for these symptoms to manifest the symptoms I was having a lot of these I I can recognize from childhood seeking attention and validation Now, I know I did that. I think I can remember some of the first times being around 10 or 11 years old. One of the the things I can remember is I was trying to see if my mother really cared about me. And this was really funny to be so introspective at that age. And my bed was right under the air conditioning vent. And I left my light on. I was uncovered, freezing my butt off all to see if my mom was going to cover me up when she went to bed and she didn't do it. She turned my light on, didn't even look in my room, went straight to bed. I was heartbroken, completely heartbroken. So a lot of these things I can see that were happening then 
and a lot, like I said, they just, they grew. They, they pushed me into a lot of bad relationships or into relationships with people because I didn't feel I was worth a better relationship. The first time I got married, I got married because I couldn't go back to my parents and I didn't think I could make it on my own. I had been told my entire life, you can't do that. You're not worth this. I, I had been told in words and I had been told in actions and I knew I couldn't go home. I knew I couldn't take care of myself. And so that's why I got married the first time, simply for the fact I did not feel good enough about myself. Feeling separated from other people. I felt separated from my parents. I felt separated from, even if I was in a close relationship, there was still something that did not trust people. My aunt reminded me of this the other day, and this was a kind of during, I guess you could say my fall, I was at my other aunt, her sister's house. They were both there and my cousin was there and everyone was in the kitchen talking. And I didn't remember this until she reminded me of it. And I walked away and went into the living room and I was sitting by myself. And when she reminded me of that, I remembered the event and feeling like I didn't belong there. I was not part of the group. I wasn't good enough to be part of the group. And I knew it. I, I mean, no one could have told me different. They could have told me different, but I wouldn't have accepted it then. And that, gosh, that's, that was such a um, revelation, I guess, when she reminded me of that several weeks ago. Difficulty controlling emotions. A lot of the times I would just shut my emotions off. I didn't want to feel the emotions. I would shut them off. Or I would get very insecure very quickly, either for cause or no cause, and my emotions would sort of um, control everything, and I would get extremely angry, more angry than the situation called for. Huge problem, huge problem that I fought my entire life. Now, other people may say, you know, that aren't real close to me say, uh, you're the same that as you are. But I can tell there's a huge difference. I can tell there's a difference in the way I respond to things or the way I don't respond to things. Periods of losing concentration or attention. I can tell you that right now, and it's it started earlier in in my life, probably in my 30s, maybe, I stopped being able to read and remember what I was reading. I would do what everyone, everyone does this, but for me, it happened all the time. I constantly would forget what I was doing. In the middle of what I was doing, I couldn't remember because my mind was preoccupied with making sure I was safe. And you know, now, I mean, I'm looking for my glasses and my glasses are on top of my head or I'm looking for my phone while I'm on my phone. You know, those things are kind of, I think, normal for someone 60 years old, but I would lose concentration. I would, we would be in a conversation and I would completely not know what the conversation was about because something in the conversation triggered some sort of a flashback for me. And that's what I was concentrated on. Disassociation. Oh my gosh. Disassociation 
destroyed my marriage. It destroyed my family. I started pretty hot and heavy with a disassociation in 2008, the year that I broke, the year, maybe the year before with my, well, no, because um, it was after my dad died. My dad died in September of 2007. And I think I was pretty numb there for a while, but I started to disassociate. I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to be around anybody that knew me, but I was still seeking validation from other people. But I was completely shutting off my life in anything to do with my life. I wanted nothing to do with it. It was overwhelming to me at the time. And it was also the time that they had started me on these different cocktails. And so I can't tell you for certain if, well, it had to have, it had to have added to what the disassociation I was feeling. My gosh, I got on a plane and flew halfway across the world for a job that ended up costing me a lot. And we'll go into that on a story time down the road because it's fascinating to look back on it now and and wonder to myself, what the heck was going on with you that you allowed that to happen? It, it just was crazy, but it was total disassociation. The physical symptoms, I have been plagued with headaches and migraines my entire life. I've been plagued with stomach problems, aches, pains, weird things that doctors really couldn't find a reason for. And I think the reason for a lot of the things in the beginning was because they were psychological in nature or they were brought on by the trauma that I had endured as a child and during my marriages and relationships. Everything just sort of stacked on top of each other. And we didn't think to look back at that because to me at that time, life was the way it should have been. Life was normal from my perspective. So I didn't even think to connect the two, the physical symptoms and the trauma that I had experienced. Cutting yourself off or distancing yourself from relationships from relationships and other people. I need a great big bell for this one. Anyone, and this this was really weird because I I thought I had reasons to do this, but now I understand it was for completely different reasons. People that hurt me in that moment, in that present moment, not in the past, I would cut them off. I would not speak to them and I would not say their name or allow it to be spoken around me. It was like, take it away. Don't want to hear it. I'm burying it. And I still, I will still do that to this day. And I remember I had a blog at the time and I was writing a lot of my feelings. And a lot of my feelings were very dark, very vivid, very, you knew exactly what I was thinking by what I was writing. And two of my aunts were making comments and they weren't putting two and two together. Nobody was as to what I was going through and what I had been through and why I was feeling the way I was at that time. Well, my aunts were making comments to me. I remember one of my aunts made a comment about 
how dark and disgusting my writing was. And I kind of pushed her away. And then my other aunt made a comment on several of my social media sites about I was making myself look bad. I was like making my marriage look bad. And I cut them both off. I understand now a little bit more about why I did that. I didn't want to admit that what I was going through at the time, it wasn't trivial. But to me, it seemed like they were trivializing it. And it wasn't a trivial situation, even though I didn't understand it. And there's another layer to that. These two women were two of the people I had felt safe with as a child. And at that point in my life, my parents had died, my grandson had died, my son had been hit by a car, I had had a motorcycle accident. All of these things had happened and and a lot of more horrible things had happened. I was afraid they were going to leave me. I was afraid they were starting to see through the cracks and see what a horrible person I was. And had they, I had to be the one to make the first move. Had they made that first move and told me what a terrible person I was, I don't think I could have lived. These were two women, especially one of my aunts. One of them was older and had already been married. So I was a part of her life, but not really as much as I was her younger sister. Her younger sister, I think I was dumped on a lot. It was, she was a convenient babysitter. I was with her. I was with my grandmother. I was with my great-grandfather. Or I was with some of my uncles. Well, they had all gone away. And as a kid, when people are dying on you, you don't really know why. All you know is they're leaving you. I didn't want that to happen again. And so I initiated the blocking and the cutting off because had I lost those two aunts on their initiative and not mine, I really don't think I would have been able to make it in life in any way because they were the last two surviving people that I had felt safe with. And all of a sudden, I wasn't feeling safe anymore because they were calling me out on things that no fault of their own, they didn't understand why I was going through the things I was going through. So that caused a huge mess that's ongoing today. And I wish I could get it to, you know, um, calm down because now I'm understanding it more. But I can understand their position too. My gosh, I freaked out. I was not the person that I had been both because of the trauma of losing my parents and being put on these medications that I should have never been on. Keep checking the time here. Um, Destructive and risky behavior. Yes, all of my behavior pretty much was destructive. I can remember there were nights I was, and I don't drink. Remember, I'm the social drinker of the family. I saw what it did to my parents. I saw what it did to my brother. I was drinking a bottle of wine a night. Some of you guys may do that. I didn't. I don't really care for wine. I was drinking a bottle a night. So that was pretty destructive for me. It was mind-numbing. It was self-medicating. And that wasn't the only destructful or risky behavior I was doing. I was having an affair. I was being flirtatious. 
I was not my normal self. I was out walking on a plank to distract myself from what the heck I was starting to feel. I think I felt safe in feeling a lot of these things. After my parents died, I felt it was okay to self-destruct. I didn't have to hold up that facade, that imposter syndrome in front of them anymore because they were gone and I was free to kind of disintegrate, I think is the best way to describe it. I was feeling like I was being held together by band-aids and they were coming off and I just started ripping them off and it was destructive to me. It was destructive to my family and that took years. I mean, the ramifications are still ongoing. They haven't all been solved. With me, I'm still working on it. I think I'm in a really good place right now. But it did destroy. I allowed it to destroy my family. I could not see what was happening at the time. Self-harm. I think the self-harm, if someone sees me in Portland, I'm pretty normal. You know, they would think, you know, I've got my, my sleeve tattoos, my back is tattooed, my legs are tattooed. In Portland, I pretty much fit in. In Texas, not so much. I never thought I would have sleeve tattoos, any tattoos on my arms. I just, there was a time that I thought that that was pretty much unacceptable. Well, there came a time when there was evidence of self-harm on my arms. And I had two things. Tattoos would cover it up. And if I had to pay a lot of money to get a tattoo, I wasn't going to destroy it. So that's kind of what my thinking was in that. I'm loving my ink. They, it, it pretty much tells my story. I think a lot of people see it as, especially where I'm from in the South, they see it as rebellious or in, in some vein like that. But it wasn't rebellious. It was therapy for me. So I wouldn't do anything to myself. It was also covering up things that I would be very embarrassed about. Suicidal thoughts and ideation. Well, I didn't feel I was good enough in any way for anyone in my life, or I never felt I would have the capability to be good enough for anyone in my life. And so that was always a constant thought. There was never... I think there was only one time, maybe twice, that there was a definite plan. And I'm not really sure how definite that was. My grandson uh, saved me one time. He came in. I was drawing a bath. And he came in, knocked on the door. He's a little bitty guy. And he knew I was making a bath. And he presented me with a handful of lavender for my bath. That shook me. That really shook me. Seeing him, his little cherub face, his great big dimple, and this handful of lavender that he had chosen for me, for my bath, just really, it it changed my entire perspective of being self-absorbed and having that tunnel vision into, oh my gosh, what will happen to him if I do this? Difficulty trusting others. There's not one person on this earth I trust other than my doctors. No one. I don't trust anyone because the people I have trusted have all hurt me more than I could have imagined. 
And a lot of that's because I chose the wrong people and I've allowed that I didn't set up the proper boundaries. So I don't trust anyone, no one. I'm starting to trust myself more though. Reliving traumatic events. I think the way I relived those was through emotional flashbacks and I didn't realize they were emotional flashbacks. I just was inappropriately angry, explosive, hurt by things that someone that did not have CPTSD or did not have my background of abandonment and neglect and physical abuse would not have reacted as strongly as I did in these situations. And each time it happened, it made me pull back a little bit more. And I think, you know, I'm looking on my list here. I think I pretty much spoke to the hyperarousal and the the exaggerated startle response. That happens to this day. My husband will walk in, someone will walk in, someone will come from around the corner. I will scream, I will jump. And it's embarrassing. And they don't seem to understand. You know, my husband will say, you knew I was here. Well, yeah, but what you're not understanding is I'm preoccupied. I I think I'm kind of wired to feel that there's danger around me all the time. Even though I was taking a lot of, making a lot of risky mistakes, I felt I was in control of it when I wasn't. And even in my own house, my gosh, in my house when I was a kid is where a lot of this stuff happened to me. So my home is not a safe place for me unless I'm in it by myself. Difficulty regulating emotion. I have to this day and I hope that it will get better. It's not as bad as it was, but I do have difficulty regulating my emotions, uh, especially around my husband. And if I feel that he has not protected me, I see that as his job, which may not be right, but because of my past, I, you know, I know that I'm my ultimate protector, but I see that it's sort of his job to protect me. And when he doesn't, and I feel like I've been thrown under the bus, I hit rock bottom and it is not a good place to be. Detached from my emotions which is different than the disassociation that I explained before. You know, I was going to Starbucks all the time. I was staying away from the house. I detached from everyone and everything in this house. My emotions I detached from. I got to where I didn't cry. I still really don't cry much because that act that should be a cathartic act to me actually brings up a lot of trauma and I avoid it. There are movies I will not watch if I think they're going to make me cry. It's out, not going to happen. Negative self-perception and self-sabotage. I cannot think, even though I displayed it, it was an act. I cannot think of one time when I felt I was good enough for anyone And there were a lot of relationships that I think would have been very good for me and people that would have been very good for me that I avoided because I didn't feel I was good enough for them. Now, 
after my mother was killed and I was with my dad, he lived like 447 days, I think, something like that. After mom died, we did a lot of healing during that time. I was with him a lot. And it was, you know, in it's hard to say, but in my mother's death, I got the greatest gift in that I got my dad. And I was able to talk to my dad and it was really the first time in my life my dad made me feel I was good enough for him. And it was something that I will, I will never, never forget. When I was talking about the way that CPTSD changes the, chem, the uh, hormones and the neurochemicals in the brain, that was such a relief to me. And I don't know why. It shouldn't be. It, it, something happened to me to change my brain. But I guess I sort of felt a little bit of a relief because I wasn't born this way. This was a very clear case of nurture, not nature, that this happened. And I'll, you know, in the next episode, I'm going to have a guest on. But after that, I'm going to do an episode on kind of my childhood and exactly what happened there to give you a little better understanding. But right now, I want to talk about the medications I was put on. All right, so this one saw me for three hours where my current psychologist and psychiatrist knew me for probably a year before they removed the bipolar tag from me, the bipolar label from me. They got to really know me on a much deeper level. And those are two people that I would 100% trust. They have my best interest in mind. And I know that. And I, my life would not be the same without them. Today, it would be completely different. Who knows if I would even be here. They have helped so much. But this woman that had known me for three hours and just checked boxes and didn't really get to know much about what I had been through, did the the regular protocol. I was put on, at first, I was already taking Wellbutrin for depression, but I think she added Risperidone, Abilify, and Lamictal. It was freaking horrible. It was horrible. And then later we ended up changing the Abilify to Geodon, which is another psychiatric drug, which left me with permanent side effects. They all left me with permanent side effects. One of the things I noticed most, okay, with my Lamictal, well, with the, let's go to the Risperidone. With the Risperidone, what I noticed first is I gained like 40 pounds in a month. And I don't know if that's an exaggeration or not, but I didn't realize that it changes your, your um, blood insulin and your sugar levels. And so it makes you just want to eat all the time. And even if you don't eat, whatever you eat, it, it's not being digested the way it should. And so I gained all of this weight and it was horrible. And I told him, you have to get me off of this. Besides that, what it did was make me want to sleep all the time. 
which I wanted to sleep all the time anyway, but this made you sleep all the time. It was a horrible, horrible drug to be on. Then with the Lamictal, some of the side effects in the with Lamictal, it's a mood stabilizer. So the side effects in that are things like being agitated and irritated as if I wasn't already agitated and irritated enough. That just added to it. I lost all of my creativity. I wasn't drawing anymore. I couldn't really write anymore. I could write, you know what I mean? I it, I couldn't do the lyrical poetry. I couldn't write prose. I I just I had no ideas. I couldn't do it. I could not put it together. My creativity was gone. And I find this an interesting um, drug that they put me on because I was already having self-harm thoughts, but one of the side effects of Lamictal is increased thoughts of self-harm. It doesn't make sense to me unless it's just making you so doped up you can't act on that, move on that. And while I was on it, I there was an increase for me in that particular side effect. All right, with the PTSD or with the complex PTSD, there's already memory loss and confusion. Lamictal, that is another side effect. So I was having even more memory loss, even more confusion on the Lamictal than before when I was not medicated. This next one here is something that I still fight and that's brain fog. I had never really had brain fog until I started having to take the Lamictal. In the mornings is when it really hits me and it takes me a good hour or so to clear the cobwebs from my brain to be able to have a conversation. And even through the day, I'll have brain fog and I'm thinking... You know, and it's like, it is like a brain fog because I feel to me personally, like I am in this mist, in this haze that I cannot get through. I'm trying to push my thoughts out, but they're being blocked by this, not like a solid wall, but like a, like a haze. Some of the thoughts are coming out, coming out and some of them are not. I have no idea if that makes sense to you or not. But that's how I was feeling. And it, it's, it's really difficult to describe to someone. And a lot of uh, people were just telling me, get off the meds, get off the meds. Well, I was scared to get off the meds. I thought I had bipolar disorder and I didn't want my life going the way it was. But the side effects, my gosh, they just kept adding up. Other side effects of Lamictal are, and I find these really, really interesting because I had each and every one of these and one of them is ongoing to, well, two of both of them are, are ongoing today. All of them. I thought there were just two. Clarity. I do have a problem with clarity sometimes, although it is getting better. Someone can speak to me and they can be speaking to me and I'm thinking, I don't have any clue as to what you just said. I don't understand it. I need you to explain it to me in a different way. And that for someone with my education and my background with my parents, 
and what they expected academically. It's embarrassing for me to listen to someone or to read a book and not understand what's being said. Kidney problems. Oh my gosh, I started having kidney problems. I have problems with my liver too. I have a large mass in my liver. We're really not sure what it is, but they're telling me I don't need to worry about it. And I have these nodules on my kidney. Uh, the other one had them too. And I was, ha I was having kidney disease. I was having kidney infections, which suck. They are horrible. I have UTIs a lot, but kidney infections, those were bad, really, really bad. And the other one was low white blood count. I remember in the beginning of this, I, they were taking, they were doing a lot of blood work, a lot of lab work, so much lab work that in my right arm, where they generally take the blood, you know, uh, right here, it, they can't take blood anymore. It is so scarred from all the, the blood draws. I can't have them stick that arm anymore. They have to go into my left arm. And for some reason, they're always reluctant to do that. And there have been times that they've had to go into other places to draw blood. And a lot of that came because they were noticing I had a very low white, almost non-existent white blood cell count. And it got to the point, I called one day and I cannot believe that the nurse told me this. I mean, this is not, this shouldn't be protocol. I don't think it is. I think she just really messed up. But I called to, to check on my labs. It was before they started sending them through the computer. And she said, well, we think you have leukemia. I lost it. I freaking lost it. So they had me seeing an oncologist. I saw an oncologist for about a year and she monitored my, my white count. Finally, we came up with the fact that it was one of my medications, but we didn't know which medication it was because every one of these medications lower your white blood count. So that adds to the infection rate, that, in, that adds to getting sick more because you can't fight whatever it is off. My blood count, my white blood count has come up since I've stopped all these medications, but it's still borderline. Now with the Abilify they had me on, that started making me feel like I had worms or bugs crawling underneath my skin. And it also was weight positive. So I, I was just wanting to eat all the time, whether I was hungry or not. When I was on the Abilify and the Risperidone, I was wanting to eat continually. And so those are two that I had nicks like right off the bat because I wasn't living like that. Just wasn't going to be happening. The Lamictal I really needed to kind of stable my stable uh stabilize my moods but at the same time when i look back now from where i am in this present state i should have never been on that then we switched from abilify to geodon now geodon is an interesting medication 
and I, th- it seems like a, it's it's for schizophrenia, I believe, and I think we are using it off label for bipolar disorder. I felt better on the Geodon than I did on the other medications, and I remember the doctor. It wasn't my current psychologist or psychiatrist. It was a previous one telling me that there was a very high chance of a condition called tardive dyskinesia, which is involuntary tics or movements, mainly of the mouth. Now, if you look back in some of my videos when I'm in a high stress situation, you can see unusual mouth movements. She said a lot of times, Patients don't notice it themselves. It's someone else that noticed it. But I remember feeling like, and this is weird, like my tongue was tired, my mouth was tired. And I was talking to another doctor. I think I was speaking with my current psychiatrist. And he said, I'm noticing some really strange mouth movements. I think we need to get you off of that like right now. So we did that. But some of the other side effects I wanted to get to. And this, (laughs) I have a lot of these that haven't gone away. Changes in heart rhythm. I have a very, I had an irregular beat anyway. And now it's just wackadoo. Sometimes I'll I'll get into a normal sinus rhythm. But my heart rate or my heartbeat is something the rhythm is something that we have tried to figure out for years. And then it got worse a couple of years ago when another situation occurred. And we just haven't been able, it's not like AFib or anything. I just have a very irregular heart rhythm. With Geodon, also you get increased blood sugar, tremors, abnormal movements, muscle tics, which I mentioned and an altered mental status, as if I needed an altered mental status on top of everything else I was dealing with. So I got off of that. That was the last psychiatric drug that I was on. And I think I think I stayed on that longer than I should have. My psychiatrist was wanting me to get off of it. I was still using it as a but what if that's helping me? Even Are these side effects, you know, what's the risk versus the benefit? When I got off of that, my life changed. But I realized I still had the tardive dyskinesia. And, you know, I had the heart rhythm problems. We didn't really, nothing really is fixing that. I'm on propranolol right now. But nothing's really taking care of the heart rhythm. But with the abnormal movements, the tremors and the abnormal mouth movements, ticks, all of that. I was put on a medication called Keppra. I take 2000 milligrams a day and it almost immediately stopped the tardive dyskinesia, stopped my seizures, stopped all of the involuntary movements. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of almost like having Tourette's in a way with just the tics and the movements, not with any of the language-related parts of Tourette's, but with the tics and the movements. That's, that's how it felt. 
But the Capra comes with all of these side effects, possible side effects as well. It did take care of the tardive dyskinesia, but then you've got lethargy. I take it at night, so that's a good thing. Brain fog. What does all of this stuff, all of these medications create brain fog? That's something I fight on a daily basis. And because I have to take such a high dose of Capra and I take it in the evenings, mornings for me totally suck. It's horrible. It takes me a good amount of time to wake up. And so if somebody comes up on me or up to me to want to talk, when I first open my eyes, it's like, I can't do it. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know how I'm responding. It's just a bad situation all the way around. And I'm going to have to be on Capra the rest of my life unless they come up with something else, you know, that doesn't have all of these side effects. There's also, it causes um, memory problems. Ding, ding. Check that box. Vertigo. I find this is interesting. I had a horrible bout of vertigo in 2018 and 2019 and was misdiagnosed with Meniere's disease had unnecessary surgeries, all of these things. But I didn't realize until during research for this, that vertigo was a side effect of the Keppra. Thankfully, I haven't had any vertigo in the last couple of years. There's also loss of balance and coordination, which yes, you can check that box. One of the things I wanted to mention, when I got off of the Lamictal, which was a mood stabilizer. We had been doing research, we being my doctors and me, on other mood stabilizers. And my thyroid wasn't performing as it should. And we, or I found out, and I took it to my doctors, that thyroid medication, levothyroxine, was also being used as a mood stabilizer. And so I take levothyroxine at night. And I don't seem to have any side effects from that. My moods seem to be pretty stable for the most part, unless I'm being triggered and I'm learning more and more how to control that. But the levothyroxine is really working. What I'm on right now, I take Ambien sometimes if I need it to sleep. I'm on 2000 milligrams of Keppra. I'm on 300 milligrams of, um, Wellbutrin, I was taking Concerta, but with the heart rhythm problem, I stopped taking that. And then I'm on a, a lot of antihistamines, which add to brain fog. Fun times. Are all this pharmaceutical stuff, are the risk, are the, are the, are the benefits worth the risk? Well, with the antihistamines for me, yes, they are. I'd rather have brain fog than be completely, totally swollen, my eyes shut, itching, scratching, all of that. But yeah, so that misdiagnosis really cost me a lot in so many ways. It cost me my family. It cost me my marriage. It cost me relationships. It made me make even poorer, poorer, is that a word? It made me make even worse decisions 
in all areas of my life. I was, for lack of a bat, um, for lack of a better term, batshit crazy. From where I stand today, looking back on when I was under all those medications for bipolar disorder, I can honestly say I was totally 100% off my flipping rocker. I made a lot of bad choices, a lot of bad decisions. My life disintegrated. But that was really a good thing because when my life disintegrated and I realized it had disintegrated and we changed the medications, I was slowly able to rebuild my life. There were things that happened along the way. There were relationships along the way where I was finally able to see what was really going on. I still didn't have that self-worth. So I was clinging on to different things. But the difference was I was able to see what was being done to me by these other people and what I was allowing to be done. And so that got changed pretty quickly. And I've got stories about those that will be coming up. The next episode is we're going to have a guest on that's going to explain how they saw me, the changes they saw in me when I was diagnosed and I was put on all of the medications. With that, guys, have a fantastic week and I will be talking to you soon. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Digging Through Dominoes. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Terry on Facebook and Instagram at Digging Through Dominoes, on Twitter at Digging Dominoes, and online at